welcome to Conversations About Life. I've been looking forward to talking with you, Mike. Yeah, me too. So I'll introduce you a little bit. You have a family with six children, mm-hmm. live out here in Jefferson County. And what kind of work do you do? I work in technology. Okay. Uh, right now I'm working at a company in Fenton called Merits Global Events. Okay. Uh, part of the big Merits mm-hmm. company in Fenton. Um, with uh, the downturn in the economy right now, though, I'll be honest, I'm looking, looking around just to kind of mm-hmm. see what else is available as well. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's it, I've been I've been in the industry for 30 years. Okay. And um with with technology, what do you mean or with computers and mm-hmm. coding and stuff yes. like that? Yeah. Okay. We're mostly I focus mostly on uh data and analytics now. Okay. Uh so that's been about the last 10 years. Okay. And you go to church out here too? Mm-hmm. Um what's the name of your church? Uh First Baptist Arnold. Is it? Uh, yes, okay, you're yes. back at First Baptist Arnold. Yes. So that's where we met each other. Right, right. Yeah, a long time ago. By 95, I believe. So that'd be 25 years ago. Okay. So what moved you to First Baptist Arnold? Uh, we had had, uh, when we talked a long time ago, we had left to go join a, a small church. Right. Join some leadership uh, over in our area of the county. Uh, we had some. We knew some people, and they... Uh, I suggested we come join them. It was kind of in what we were thinking about of a smaller church being more invested in people. And we went, and uh, unfortunately, there, were, there was just a little bit of dysfunction uh, there that took its toll over time. And uh, so eventually we left for, uh, for lack of a better term, for a safe harbor, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we had considered First Baptist Arnold to be a safe harbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went back. And uh, th- that we've been back for about seven years uh, there. Okay. Yeah, so we were gone for six years, and we've been back now at Arnold for seven years. Okay. Yeah. So um, what else would you say as far as introduction, as far as, you know, Mike Woodward, um, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I was thinking when you uh, first talked about having a chat, I was like, I'm about the most boring person you'd ever meet, Will. I don't know. I've often described myself as vanilla, mm-hmm. <laughs> vanilla ice cream. Um, you know, I've I, I'd like to think of myself uh, as a son of my parents. Uh, my parents were were very um, they were about the sweetest people I've ever known, hmm. um, and even even you know I even know their faults, right? Uh, even but they were what I would have aspired to be. So they're kind of my uh, barometer of where, uh, of who I want to be, that type of thing. My parents, uh, my mom passed away about three years ago, my dad four. Um, But they were both very passionate about family, very passionate about their faith, uh, very passionate about the community that we call the church. Uh, They were, it was something very important to them. So those values, I think, is what, who I am today because of that. Hmm. You have siblings? I do. I have a brother that lives in Eureka and a sister who used to live in Springfield, Illinois. They just moved to Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Uh, my, my brother-in-law is a pastor. Okay. Uh, they were, my sister and brother-in-law were missionaries, uh, and they moved back to the States about four years ago. Okay. So, yeah. And then your 
And your brother is closer than... Yes, my brother, is. he's lived in this area the entire time, so... Okay. He's got two kids, and my sister has three kids. Okay. So, um, so what was your home life like? Um, my, everything was centered around church and family. Okay. Um, we, uh, we went to some local churches here. Uh, my, my parents actually did go through some church trauma as well. Uh, they, they left their primary church for a short time, um, and then they came back within about three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, so anyway, it was all, it was basically we had family, my f- family's originally from Kentucky, so we would, seem like we'd drive down every month to go mm-hmm. visit family. So very family-centered, hmm. uh, and very church-centered. So everything was, you know, we did some sports, but not nothing... Uh, you know, nothing that took up a ton of time. It was mostly f- family and church. So you drove to Kentucky monthly, you said? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty often. It's about four hours away. Okay. Um, it's, it wasn't too, that bad. Right. But uh, so, yeah, I had a good relationship with my cousins uh, mm-hmm. growing up still mm-hmm. to this day. So uh, mm-hmm. that's I appreciate that that effort they put in. Well, they wanted to go back and see family. So, mm-hmm. hmm. so did you? It's kind of neat that you had your parents had such an influence on you, and mm-hmm. that you have have such high regard. For well, I them. wish I, I wish they had more influence on me. <laughs> <laughs> like when you talk about their character or so forth, like what's that like? What you know? What were they like? Uh, they were both. So my dad has always been gentle, uh, respectful. Um, my mom, um, growing up, was a little more had a little more anxiety. Uh, it seemed like as soon as I left the house, all of a sudden she became a very nice person. So I, I don't know if there's you know correlation there. Um, yeah, because I my my kids would talk about how sweet their nana was and and how much you know she was just saccharine sweet, right? And I'm like, I just don't remember that that woman. But um, so they 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 believed the best in people. They immediately wanted to seek peace. Um, and those are the things that I struggle with. <laughs> I don't believe the best of people, and sometimes I don't necessarily want to seek peace. Um, but uh, yeah, there. Th- those are the things I aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, like I said, my dad has always been gentle. Um, you know the old adage of you know when you have punishment uh, or discipline, uh, where your parent says, "Well, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you." Well, with my dad, I actually felt that was actually sincere he actually meant that before i would get a swat or something mm-hmm. uh, because it bothered him um he was just like i said just a very sweet person hmm. and uh were their relationship with each other uh good and warm it was and great it was yeah they were very affectionate so that was a good uh template you know to for my marriage now um you know, my wife is the most important person to me, and I always knew that my mom was the most important to my dad. In the same way, with with my mom back to my dad, so they were they looked out for each other. They had each other's backs. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I don't remember seeing them embarrass each other in front of each other, which every now and then you see people do. Uh, so those are the again those those key things were very instrumental in what I wanted to have as a family too. And then their Christian faith, mm-hmm. you know, must have been attractive to you. And 
to your sister, to your brother mm-hmm. as well? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they uh, they lived the faith. They were definitely not the, I go to church to do my God thing, and then the rest of the time is my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, every part of life, faith was part of their walk. Hmm. Uh, whether it be who they work with, uh, whether it be with discussions they have with us as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was, uh, the, uh, the gospel was always being preached and taught in front of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I use the term legacy. You know, you can't, you can't have a, a, a grand, you can't be a grandkid of a Christian to be, or a kid of a Christian to get in, in, into heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, every relationship is personal. But at the same time, if you're showing that winsome effect of what Christ has done for you, it's only going to be obvious that that legacy is going to be passed down to your kids. I mean, they're, they'll, they'll have a tougher time walking away from that faith uh, if you're walking you know, honestly and forthrightly before them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what, uh, again, that's kind of the template I want for my life as well. So what gives you confidence in the Christian faith um, that it's uh, a real description of reality and God and, and everything rather than just something that works but not, and, and that's it, you know? Sure. I mean, I, uh, I've, I've done a well. This is from two different ways. One from a purely materialistic point of view. I've done, you know, apologetic studies, and, and there's plenty of, there's plenty of reasons. You know, there's plenty of knows your face of why the uh, the claims of Christ, uh, why the the all the record of the Bible is true, but but I don't really approach it from that way. That's just you're never going to convince anybody uh, using those t- type of arguments. It's just more of a defense, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I look at the effect of of what Christ has done in my life, what Christ has done in other people's lives. And it's when you see the Spirit working in someone, it's like... Uh, it's like a, a like a view of of the eternal. I mean, it's just uh, I don't want to get metaphysical, but it's just um, there's more to it just than the facts. These are the facts. It's about what Christ has done, and you see that in people's lives, and you know, knowing your own self, knowing how your own actions are sometimes, and knowing your own attitudes are, you see the miracle of Christ replacing animosity christ replacing enmity you know with with peace with love you know the fruit of the spirit and and it's just when you see that it's hard to deny that that's you know that that's something supernatural there so i I approach it both from like i said the you know i've read all the books uh all the apologetics books and they're, they're fine uh on one hand but they don't really answer the big question um, so I, I appeal more to what I see in my, my life, my other people's lives who are, are in Christ, and because uh, it's it's a it's a miracle. I um, have recently discovered a philosopher. His name's Alvin Plantinga. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, I've I've, I've oh, heard of wow. him. Yes. Okay. 
So something along those lines that he says is um, that negative um, arguments like against accusations against Christianity are tend to be more useful than positive arguments for the existence of God or for mm. Christianity because um, the negative, you know, like a defense type of apologetic, uh, it's helpful because Christians can be kind of um, disturbed mm-hmm. by uh, accusations against their faith, and like a, a defense can be really helpful for them to understand that um, there's a reason for their faith and that there's an answer to these accusations. But as far as like a positive argument for God, that can be kind of helpful, but it's normally it doesn't give people the type of solid confidence right. that they really need, and normally that's more of a spiritual type of thing. Right. Um, as far as this change and stuff that God does in people's lives, mm-hmm. what, uh, what, as far as the person, what involvement do they have? Like if someone wants more of this heart change, um, you know, what, what's on their side to, to do? Um, sure. So yeah, the, this is where the rubber beats the road. I mean, the spirit speaks to us, convicts us, um, when we know, so like if I'm uh, having a, for lack of a better word, a little adult tantrum inside my head uh, over something, uh, there's a point where the spirit speaks it to me in that, right? And says, really? It's just, uh, this is really not where you should be putting your hope and trust. Um, so then that's that response is where I have to agree and confess uh, that I'm being, trying to be self-dependent and self-reliant um, and trust in, in the Father and that, uh, you know, that to, to agree with what I say I agree with, to, to bring my head and my heart in together um, so that when those claims that I make about when, I, when we talk to people about the gospel, I have to make those in union with the way I'm actually living as well. So... There comes a decision point, and you have to decide whether you're going to walk in that or or to walk in disobedience. So the the claims, as as it pertains to your life and your character, mm-hmm. are what claims are you talking about? Like that God changes a person. And- well, that yeah, but that like I'm going to trust God. Okay, uh, I have see. to walk in that. Um, um, that I can. I am no longer a slave to sin. I have to walk in that. Right. Mm-hmm. I have to. If I'm no longer a slave to sin, that means God's going to give me plenty of opportunity to walk away, and I have to walk into that, and to uh, to do that, I have to make that uh, that conscious decision to walk away from sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the it's just agreeing with what I say I believe. So and that's uh, anytime we you know we have to to walk. It's what we talk talk about walking in the spirit. Obviously, when you're um, and you're spending time communing with God, praying and reading His Word, then that's a lot easier to do because God's Word is fresh in you and working in you. But if you're starving yourself from communion with God, then yeah, that's it's going to be a lot easier to walk in your own flesh. So, mm-hmm. are there any um, particular things in your life where you really um, 
you know, are, uh, have to depend hard on this or, um, or you're still waiting for God to do that transform, transformative work? Or is there... um, there's no large, I have the run of the mill, uh, again, trusting God um, in all things. Um, you know, when I have cares and concerns about uh, just the world around me, about my family, um, I can choose to wallow in that and try to figure out ways to solve things um, and then get all anxiety and stressed about that. Or I can rest in Christ and just trust that he'll lead me where I need to go. And, uh, you know, my, my wife is a lot better at that than I am. Uh, trusting God, she's like whatever happens in life, you know we're we're gonna trust God and and uh, so she's an encouragement in that area. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I guess it's a little bit of a control issue with me, control freak type person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I, I would say that was the main area of where I continually, you know, I'm, I'm like 56 now. Like, when am I gonna learn this? <laughs> What routines do you have in your life or in your family's life or in, even in your marriage that's helpful for you as far as, um, you know, walking according to the Spirit and so forth? Well, obviously, daily communion, uh, which, you know, it's uh, whenever you can tell whenever uh, time with God is not a priority, you know, not a priority, but when it's not done, when you don't spend time with God. Uh, you're uh, you're starving yourself, and those that kind of things throws everything else out of whack. So the rest of your routines, your family time. You know, if, if you're focused on yourself, then you don't focus on your family. You know, if you're focused on yourself by not spending time with God, then you're not. You're it's going to cascade into how you relate to your family. You're going to kind of uh, kind of sink down into your own little space. Uh, so. You know, we spend uh, time in the morning um, with with God. Um, that kind of helps to set the, the tempo that, that for the day of how am I going to handle any thing that comes towards me, or what are my activities going to be? Um, we try to. Um, you know, I've only got half of my kids home now. Um, but even when we were had them all there, uh, we would try to have conversations about real life application. So if there was some kind of issue with one of the kids, we always tried to bring uh, the gospel into it. Um, uh, basically, just a reminder of you, you know you're never going to be able to perform well enough to to impress anybody. So you know where where are you at in Christ? So just those type of conversations we like to talk we're a very talkative family hmm. we talk all the time we got a bunch of big mouths mm-hmm. uh, so th- we try to do that all the time so um, like in disciplining a kid mm-hmm. bringing the, the gospel into it so like they've done something against the rules or whatever mm-hmm. you're addressing it so you're you're talking about in bringing the gospel into it you're talking mm-hmm. about their need for mm-hmm. God and his work in their life? Is it kind of what you're talking about? Right, right, right. You know, it's funny. Uh, not funny. It's uh, my youngest now. Uh, she actually, when we talk about how she needs to depend on on uh, Christ, 
to help her when she wants to do something uh, capricious. Uh, she's she admits that she was like she was yeah I, I mean she she struggles with that saying I'm I'm trying I ask God to help me and so I mean I guess just at least having that in the vocabulary of that uh, we're not we don't want to just treat symptoms we want to look to the heart um, again we're not perfect uh, there's some times when it's like you don't have you, something happens so abruptly and that you're not talk thinking about the gospel right away. <laughs> So I'm not, I don't want to say you know everything is perfect at at our house, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a but it's a it's a iterative iterative thing where we try to continually work that into conversations. So to you, it seems that the gospel is more than atonement. Like when I think mm-hmm. of gospel, I think of well forgiveness because Jesus mm-hmm. died for our sins. So there's a sacrifice made, and we're received and stuff. But it's it sounds like um, like an emphasis of the gospel that you that's important to you and is the uh, change of life that we can now have and a different way of living um, than before, as in like uh, you, you mentioned being a slave to sin, no longer a slave to sin, able to live mm-hmm. in a righteous, upright way. So kind of yeah. So I, I don't you know the word. The word gospel, unfortunately, has gotten broad use where you slap the word gospel on anything. Um, but what I mean by that is, that, I guess, the implications of what Christ has done. Um, so I, be- I believe if there's no change, then there's no change. I mean, if, if, if nothing has happened with what Christ has done for you, if there's been no supernatural exchange, um, then there's not going to be any evidence of that in the way I live. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been a a firm proponent of, you know, working out my salvation. And I shared, I talk to my kids all the time. I, I push on that. Um, just to make the you know their salvation is sure. I mean, I grew up um, in a church that you know focused on um, they have revivalist tendencies. They they focused on you making you going up to the front making mm-hmm. a decision. So when I was seven, I did something um, and went up to the front of the church. Never was I don't remember being clear about it. I I, I was got a little pamphlet or something and um, then I was baptized and that was that and didn't really understand too much about it um, so it wasn't until I was in my teens when um, I actually understood my state and was overwhelmed with my state uh, and spent a couple of years just turmoil couldn't sleep at times uh, of where I was in relationship with God and then finally I was I've never had accepted I never had received uh, salvation. So, then, so when I was 15, that's when I came to Christ. And it's interesting. So I've always had a little bit of a concern about that with my own kids. Mm-hmm. A couple of my kids came to Christ early. But since that time, um, I've had two that have come back uh, as adults and made decisions for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest son, and then my daughter as well. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, they, 
And it was really weird because when um, when she was so she came forward when she was young when we were at Arnold when we were away at the other church, um, she had made a a profession of faith, and I actually baptized her. Um, but then when we went back to Arnold, so in the last couple of years, she actually said that she'd never really placed her faith in Christ. That she was, you know, she. And, you know, you can uh, discuss, well, maybe she did and just is confused or, you know, but uh, she's clear now. So, mm-hmm. um, again, that's the whole concept of working out your salvation to make it sure mm-hmm. that you, not that you're proving anything, but that you know what you're putting your trust in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always tried to have those conversations, kind of blunt conversations with my kids. So, Well, here's something... You know, just a thought that came up. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the change that Mm -hmm. God makes where we no longer slave to sin but can live uprightly. Mm -hmm. What about non-Christian people who just seem just pretty, like, good, um, sincere? I've been meeting with um, a group of uh, men. They're a meetup group. Mm -hmm. Really enjoying them, but it's not a Christian group. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking with... um, you know, some of them are atheist and they're, or different things. But, you know, I do see like a sincere, um, you know, what appears to me and me, appears to me anyway, like a wanting to figure out the right thing and do the right thing. And sometimes the issues are a little different. Sometimes it could be like um, justice issues, mm-hmm. you know, societal uh, things or environmental or, or things like that, you know. Um, but still, there seems to be something, you know, and there, and it's not only that, but it's like um, in interpersonal type of things, something that's kind of, I hear from other people is like trying to understand the other person and not just be uh, defensive, hear them out, you know, just a real sincere uh, type of wanting relationships to be loving, you Mm -hmm. know, and the word love is even used quite a bit Mm -hmm. where Jesus said, um, you know, my, you'll know my disciples because they have love for one another. Well, these people who are not disciples of Jesus, you know, are talking about love. (laughs) So do you have any thoughts about that? About anyway, so that kind of brings in a little bit of confusion in there for me. Sure. Well, uh, first off, I think, um, the church has been guilty of equating faith in Christ as goodness. Um, when I say the church, I don't mean everyone, right? But when you think, a lot of people uh, view what Christ has done to them as, well, I don't want to say a lot of people. If you view what Christ has done to you as a transactional of God has turned me from a bad person into a good person, if that's how you view your salvation, then what you're saying is there are no other atheists or whoever they were good people, good and decent people. But we know from experience, I mean, a lot of the nicest people I've ever met are not believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the meanest people I've met are Christians. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, that has to, you have to be careful to, to use the right classification on that, if you're talking about goodness, uh, you know, first off, you know, 
scripture's clear. We all are the image bearers of, of, of God. So there's always something in everyone that shows the character of the Father, uh, shows the character of God. Um, but, you know, when you get down to it again, um, it's not about... It's not not about the character of the person, but you know we believe uh, in our heart of hearts we know that we're apart from God, and only Christ uh, made that way for us to be with God through His atonement. So that really, um, it's just I, I try to keep those classifications separate. I don't say because you're not a believer, you're not a good person, because nobody's quote good, uh, but. You have to you have to enjoy those relationships. You have to invest in those relationships. And I'm glad you're doing that, um, because that's uh, um, in one sense you could say those are the type of people who are near to God. God is just around the corner. That that there's if their uh, hearts are wanting to love, the wanting justice, mm-hmm. if they're wanting those type of things, you know, God is uh, is close uh, to that. Uh, so, I would, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I think it's great that you're meeting people that like that, and they're, uh, those are people I want to meet too. I mean, I, I like people, so. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not so much that we have like the good and the bad, right. um, but that doesn't deny um, that powerful effect that the gospel has on people right. of going from taking someone who's lost mm-hmm. and selfish and messed up, you know, like kind of describing myself right. one time right. um, to someone who has peace, meaning in their life, and a, a relationship with God. So I, one of the, you know, when I was a younger Christian, some key reading I did, somebody was very smart and gave me uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um because I had a lot of questions, a lot of uh, just you know, not sure about a lot of things. One thing he said was, people to say, well, how come that person who's a professing Christian is such a mean person, and mm-hmm. this person who doesn't believe in God at all is such a nice person? And C.S. Lewis answered that by, you don't know how far along the path that that mean woman is Mm -hmm. Uh, she might have been a lot meaner Hmm. and the work that Christ is doing is transforming her Mm -hmm. into a less mean person and the the good person you know first off nobody's story is is complete until they pass to eternity Uh, you know so I don't know what God's going to be doing with them and Mm -hmm. you know we pray that God uh, uh, saves them Um, so but yeah you we see with what we, you know, what we think is, we try to put things in the good and bad buckets, mm-hmm. and it's just not as clear as that. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, we don't know someone's background. It's like, I guess I'm what I'm thinking of is, it sounds like you had a really good upbringing, mm-hmm. and, um, and it seems like you're using it well, and, but someone else, what a disadvantage it must be for someone mm-hmm who doesn't have that kind of a background and is really struggling in different ways throughout life. 
so we, yeah, when we look around, we don't know what, where someone's been and what they're doing. So yeah, we should be uh, slow to judge. <laughs> right. So we've actually had this brought up even more so recently in our uh, foster training, foster mm-hmm. care training. Uh, about talked a lot about trauma. Um, you know, you have to understand that kids that are in the foster care system are not there because, you know, maybe the parents couldn't keep the house clean or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all trauma-based uh, of some level. And through this time has actually helped my wife and I walk through some trauma we had uh, as kids. Uh, mine less so. Mine wasn't, I didn't have any of my parents. I had some issues with, uh, in one neighborhood we lived in. Uh, but my my wife had a lot of trauma with her parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, uh, her, her father was an alcoholic. And so that whole not having responsible parents uh, resonates. So she's much more empathetic than I am. Because I had, uh, I had a great uh, family core, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I, 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 I don't want to say I struggle with understanding, but uh, I have to work harder at it. I mean, I have to, I have to stop and think. You know what? My upbringing isn't the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was constantly cared for, constantly, um, you know, nurtured. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there was never a time I felt I was left. You know, out in the cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I have to understand that that's not the the story for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, trauma does quite a bit of uh, to us. It frames a lot of the way we think, a lot of the way we act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hmm. you know, you mentioned you you're a really talkative family. You like to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Is that like an intentional thing? Do you sit down for times of talking, or is it just as you're driving and different stuff like that and eating and yeah, so it's it's pretty much whenever somebody starts a topic. Uh, unfortunately, now a lot of the, the conversation is based on our current politics, uh, hmm. which it's a little fruitless. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we'll have discussions just about anything, and um, so like uh, especially now during this COVID time, we've we've not been physically back to our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're planning on soon. So we've been watching at home. Um, and so all, my kids who live away, they actually come over to our house and we watch church together and have brunch or you know lunch. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that's we have conversations after the sermon. So it's kind of interesting. Some of the things you would like to do and if you were, everything's were normal, you're mm-hmm. actually doing now. So... Um, it's kind of, maybe those are some disciplines that need to continue after we get back to a, a, a more normal state. You mean the discussions? Discussions, stuff? right? After right. after after sermons or after lessons of, of any type. My son uh, Billy and his church, they have the church service, you know, with mm-hmm. the message. Then afterwards, they break up into little groups and mm-hmm. they have discussion groups, kind of, you know, about the sure. message. And stuff. I think that's great because. Um, I, because you're, you know, if you're engaged and you're chewing on, well, you know, the Word of God given to you, um, and it causes some things, that, some thoughts, and you want to 
you, you want to discuss that. You want to think, am I, is anybody, am I thinking along the right path or, or is anybody else thinking like I am on this one? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's a great model to do. So, yeah. So you're saying like lately discussions have been around politics and it's been kind of fruitless. Like, what do you mean by fruitless? Like there's no answer to it. Is that what you mean? Or so un- unfortunately, <laughs> Uh, my children are uh, a lot like me uh, in their politics. I'm uh, probably best identified as a contrarian. Um, I see no good party. I see I don't have... There's actually... A, I'm a third party type of person. Uh, so if you frame politics into the donkey versus the elephant um, I'm not going to kind of be there for you I mean because I don't really have a whole lot of trust in either um, mm-hmm. so that's why it's fruitless because those are the two it's it's a, it's as much as I don't want it to be it's still kind of a binary world there's Republicans and, and D- Democrats view of the world uh, and so because of that because my views aren't being uh, my full set of beliefs mm-hmm. are not being in talked about. Um, then it's it's fruitless because I'm either getting you know half of my beliefs on one side and then half of stuff I can't stand, mm-hmm. and then the same way with the other side. So I'm you know I'm a conflicted person in the middle, I hmm. guess, um, mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately. I see there's a lot of people like me um, that, you know, politics used to be, and I don't want to really get too much into politics. I don't put any hope in it. But if you look at American history, uh, politics used to be clustered more towards the middle, the, the parties. And then we started having the, the uh, verbiage of, I need somebody to go fight for me. I need somebody. I need to elect somebody who's going to fight for me. So then you start getting people who's to go there with more war, warrior mentalities. I'm going to go beat the other guy. Um, you no longer work together. You're trying to beat the other guy. Even if maybe there's a compromise that gets you 80% there, you don't want to do that because your people who sent you, they want 100% or nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we elect loudmouths, belligerent people. Um, and they start taking their politics, even if they, maybe they sincerely believe it, maybe they don't, but they start taking their politics out to the opposite poles of each other because I want to be totally different than the guy I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. So now we have polar politics uh, where, and I know most people I know who are not 100%, even if they're, you know, I'm more of the conservative bent, but my beliefs do not fit neatly into a package way out on, way out on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's why it's kind of fruitless because I don't feel I'm being represented mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to get into the food fight. <laughs> so mm-hmm. but, so we're, when we have this political discussion, it's more about uh, we're deconstructing both sides' arguments on things. So, hmm. Are you all watching or listening to anything that kind of that you're commenting on as far as politics do you watch the news together or listen to any political not podcast or anything do you watch some news 
Um, I know, I know, I listen to uh, David French. Uh, he's an attorney out of uh, Tennessee. He's got uh, some podcasts. Um, he uh, he is a. Uh, I I I listen to a lot of what he has to say. He's he, he kind of is someone who represents me. I, I think okay. he's um, he's a constitutionalist. Uh, he's uh, but he's also very strong believer of, of having his faith uh, infuse his, his politics. <laughs> um, so he's uh, those are the, I do listen a little bit to that. Um, I try to not uh, watch too much news. Mm-hmm. I do watch a little bit of maybe network news, uh, but I don't watch any cable news at all because I think that'd kill, kill your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Whether whatever ones you watch, because uh, it's uh, so pol- polarized. Yeah, it's so polarized. Right, hmm. everybody watches theirs, and my mm-hmm. my guys tell the truth, your guys lie. Hmm. You know that's the way all you know everybody says now. So, yeah. Um. Well, what's been going on lately, as far as you know, your time in the Word, uh, the Scriptures. Um, Anything in particular that's just really been on your mind? Yeah. Um, the constant uh, wondering about the way we do church. Um, so, you know, you and I were meeting uh, weekly back, it's been 11 years ago. No, 13 years ago when we left Arnold. Um, we were discussing then of what... Uh, what do we think church is? What is the community of faith? And, you know, is the uh, mega church model, does it hurt that what we think the family of God is? And so we, and that's those, some of those conversations we had uh, and some of the books I was reading at the time um, caused us to think we wanted to do something different. That's why we left. And then we you know uh, we ran into some dysfunction, and like I said, came back to a safe harbor. But those type of thoughts have always still been there, right? Uh, and I've found some uh, because of COVID, um, some other people are now having those same questions too. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, you know, you don't find a ton about the early church. I mean, you find in Acts two, right? The when it says they were constantly together, uh, but. I think you you do see that there is a, a little bit of a closer uh, kinship than just a, we meet together, you know, mm-hmm. at the meeting house. So I, I guess those type of any type of thing about what the family of God. So yeah, I've been reading that, looking into that. Uh, so it's it's you know I I don't want to be constantly like like you two. I I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I don't want to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know there are even some even like uh, so uh, before COVID, our Bible fellowship, our small you know I'm doing air quotes here small group was around seventy people, uh, which is that's a small church. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you meet in someone's home? No, we met okay. uh, there on on campus. And we met in the cafe, and okay. we were stretching out the cafe, mm-hmm. and we'd actually been talking for. 
couple of years of leadership of splitting, but you know no, nobody really had the guts to do it. Um, but now those conversations are coming up. Uh, we've got a group that are, is wanting to actually change up, not meet on Sunday morning. They want to meet on Saturday night in a smaller group uh, where they can actually spend you know, three hours or however much time they want to spend together. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're on campus, you have a very strict schedule, right? you got to be mm-hmm. out in and out by a certain time. And so we're having those discussions. Uh, I've got some people that I've known for you know 20 years that uh, that are very important to me and we're we're all now having those type of discussions about you know what does it mean to be uh, the church what does it mean to um, live together you know or is the Acts 2 church you know possible Mm -hmm. Uh, do we want to try our best to make it possible I mean just having those conversations and Mm-hmm. I guess praying, seeing God's leadership in that. Yeah, it reminds me of a book. I don't know if you're. I think it's called Reimagining Church, hmm. or maybe Rethinking Church. I think it's Reimagining Church. That um, kind of was pretty thought provoking to for me. It's been a few years since I read it, but one of the things that came out of that book, as far as my thoughts, is that. It would be so nice if we met with Christians based on geography rather than similar beliefs, um, because then you can kind of more easily share life with them, right. and also then you can exercise what Paul talks about as far as tolerating each other when you have differences and stuff like that. If you go, if you're looking for people who are just like you, um, you know, there's no room to exercise that because you're all alike. You know. And not only are we all, like our church, all alike in theology, our beliefs, but we're just a bunch of big homeschool families, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's not like we purposely try to become that kind of church. It's just that people are attracted to people like themselves, Mm -hmm. and that's just how it worked out. There's another church here in our area um, that has a ministry for um, a uh, like alcohol and drug uh, re- rehabilitation and stuff like that. Well, their church tends to be a lot of single people because a lot of people have gone through that. You know, their their not their families are not intact. You know, right. so they attract that type of um, people. And it would be nice if um, you know the the church, the local church, represented more of what the body of Christ looks like, what the whole universal church looks like, which is not just this type of person or that type of person. And based on geography, it would be like the people up and down my street who are Catholic, uh, Lutheran, whatever, if we have those essentials where we're truly have given our allegiance to the Lord Jesus and our faith is in Him and we're seeking Him, uh, just to meet together and to be able to do that in some way where we are still... Um, um, to to be able to meet in some way um, and tolerate, you know, mm-hmm. accommodate each other, um, that would be really neat, I think. Yeah, I think, and that's the model you see in the New Testament is a city church, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be, I think you'd see more impact mm-hmm. for Christ. Um, 
and you'd see um, more impact people in people who are professing Christ their lives. Yeah. Um, first off, learning to tolerate each other, right? Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, um, uh, I actually had this conversation yesterday with my friend who's looking, wanting to do something different. He he just had finished reading uh, letters to the church by Francis Chan, and you know he came from the mega Francis Chan came from the mega church model, mm-hmm. and now doing house churches. So. This is, my, this is in my front of my friend's mind. But anyway, uh, I was talking about how we're still going to be probably tied to the campus mm-hmm. model for now because I have two, uh, I still have a, a couple younger, well, they're 14 and 11. Um, but uh, I don't want to go back and do the 70 people. I mean, basically, I, when I prepare, I'm, I'm preparing a sermon. I'm not. I have to really actually. It, it takes a lot of work to build in dialogue, to build in pauses, to build in you know, you know, uh, structure. To okay, let's have some breakout sessions on this and talk about this. I'm not interested in it anymore. I'm I'm interested in the 12 to 18 people, um, mm-hmm. and then I, even further, I don't want 12 to 18 people exactly like me. Um, mm-hmm. To your point, because you know it's in a little bit of an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, I think we don't then understand other people's stories. I mean, I want some, <laughs> I can't say seniors anymore because I'm starting to become one, uh, but someone who may be a little bit older than me, mm-hmm. uh, then some maybe a young family, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even, we've talked about even teenagers and, and singles, uh, you know, could be part of a, of a group. Uh, so... You know, again, I think that's. I, I probably might need to pick up that book, Reimagining the Church, because that's kind of what my thoughts as well. Mm-hmm. And also, a place where people are free to express their doubts and beliefs, um, even if they go contrary to those around them. Um, there are times I've experienced in my life where. Um, my thoughts are about this biblical teaching or that. I was um, just thinking, I'm not sure if that's so biblical, you know, and, and it was contrary to other people's. But, and sometimes it's like people, um, and I, I've experienced this of like going one way that's kind of away from the group and then coming back uh, over time because everything's kind of a process. You work through things, mm-hmm. but it would be nice uh, if people felt even if they were doubting Christianity, but they were not wanting to just jump ship, they're like, I'm going to give this time. I'm doubting it, but I'm just going to remain um, here giving it time to work out. And I don't know if it's going to be going that way or if it's going to be coming back into it, but to being to be able to do that in kind of an open with the group would be nice. Whereas I think right now... Um, I imagine people would be hesitant, or I think I would, um, to just be really um, free with just whatever I was thinking about the Bible. Like, I, mm-hmm. and I, I try to be open. Um, like, if someone is speaking for me, and that's not me, I try to say something. Like in our Bible study class, our teacher might say, um, "Well, here, you know, we we believe this about that." And some there has been times where I said, "I'm not sure if I fit." That, you know? <laughs> But um, anyway. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, I think that lack of space 
might have, you know, you hear the numbers, and I, I don't necessarily agree the numbers are correct, uh, about how 80% of uh, young uh, people go to church, uh, walk away from the faith. Hmm. Well, number one, the, the, their, their measurement they're measuring the next four years, and that's how they say they walk away from the faith. They mm-hmm. don't really know the story 10 years later, to <laughs> your point of process. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, I don't think people give your, those spaces to you to ask, uh, to ask those questions. Like, wait a minute, you know, why do I believe this? Or sometimes people, we need to hear those questions because maybe the way I'm applying something is not uh, through God's eyes. Um, maybe if, if I'm talking about current um, culture and the way I'm approaching it is, again, putting those in the good and the bad bucket, right? And my language, even if I don't say it that way, but my language is those are really bad people. And if you want to be a good person, you won't do that. Mm-hmm. Um then, uh, if I first off, you know, if I do that, if I have that, or I can question that, where they can say, you know what, wait a minute, I know this person. This person's a good person, and and you talk through that and say, you're, you know, you're right. This person is 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 a good person, is how we measure good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, uh, you know, make it us versus them. Um, then you allow people then to have those yeah, those doubts. Um, you let them uh, explain what they're going through, and because if if you leave all those questions in the dark, mm-hmm. right, they're going to just spin around. They're going to take you often even further until you doubt everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, you know, I've I've got a, a son of mine who's got questions now, who's who is always actually very consistent, and and he's actually in a uh, Going to a Christian university now, and it's actually caused some of the classes, Bible classes he's taking, it actually caused him to have more questions. So, you know, mm-hmm. I have to allow him that space to ask those questions and mm-hmm. and to, uh, you know, to n- not shut down because hey, we don't believe that, or hey, we don't. This is not something we're going to do. So, I, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think there's a th- something about having a space for people to 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 have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, to be uh, um, trusted that I'm not I'm not acting in bad faith. I'm these are re- real questions in my mind. Mm-hmm. You don't need to fix me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just need to pray for me and allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life. But I do right. have some questions. Right. So, yeah, there's a young fella who grew up with my son in the church, and he was going to um, Bible college or seminary. He wanted to be in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but he started having um, uh, questions or like um, differences of opinion, not really concerning mainstream Christianity, but concerning like more fundamentalist type of things. Mm-hmm. And he got a lot of pushback from his family. Um, so it, it ended up being some problems with him. And that kind of pushed him further away. He's an atheist now. and mm-hmm. We meet together and talk sometimes. But for him, and I think for a lot of people, when they um, become like an atheist or something, you know, there's normally a story involved. It's not mm-hmm. just 
analytical, you know, just pure reasoning and story, you know, reasoning and stuff like that. And it's not, you know, I wouldn't want to put on his family um, the um, the blame or anything mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. But um, in his explanation, um, that did kind of push him away that he, not that he was uh, having some pushback uh, against Christianity, but just against kind of more of the, some of the fundamentalist sure. tenets and so forth. Uh, you know, that your point about story is, is dead on. I mean, everybody, there comes a point, and I'll say this, this is an area I'm struggling with right now. Even when I look at myself, uh, so I'm, I'm lumping myself into this where I'm so disappointed in the church. And so then that, you know, I'm so disappointed in myself as well. So I'm not saying just them. I'm saying um, where you see, again, the lack of, uh, of radical impact you know, that you see in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so that at that point, you're faced with a crisis of, all right, am I going to continue in that? Uh, am I going to become bitter about that? Uh, because that, that, that is a challenge, I mean, of being so disappointed in behaviors, uh, even spoken words of, of, of fellow uh, believers of your church or whatever, and family, same thing. And... You know, you can have a crisis where you you say, "I'm going to walk away." I mean, and that might be what this person had is is not even necessarily about beliefs, like you said. It's about it's about behavior, about uh, speech. You know, that's that's said to you, uh, and you start thinking, you know, well, wait a minute. If this is so real, then why am I seeing you not being changed? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And I'm not saying this family at all, but but I think that's a lot of conversations a lot of kids have. Mm-hmm. They come to that point of, you know, you talk about the life changing gospel. I don't see your life changed. <laughs> You're, you know, so that's the that's the thing that's always been in my uh, with my family uh, has been in my head of I don't want to, you know, show a fake gospel to my kids. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm also disappointed in myself too, because mm-hmm. sometimes I see that I'm not—I don't have the life change I see in Scripture. And so, I mean, I, I'm not going to—I don't want to say it's all everybody else, because I'm looking at myself as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if if you you start thinking, if there's no life change, if there's nothing supernatural, then you know, I can see where you can go down that path of just walking away. Mm-hmm. I'm reading in Deuteronomy right now, and. Um, in reading the Old Testament and just kind of trying to think of the big picture, the main big picture that comes to mind is that these people, the Israelites, they're just supposed to be so different than all the other people groups that their life is to be centered around their God and everything they did was supposed to be, you know, show that. And uh, I think it's, you know, we're not them and our situation is different, but I think it is probably you know the same thing our lives are supposed to be so centered around our God and everything that we do how we do it and so forth um, we probably look a little bit too much like 
you know, the American dream type of mm-hmm. <laughs> people, you know. Well, I mean, why was the first two, three centuries of the early church, why were they viciously persecuted? I mean, it was because they were different. <laughs> they, I mean, there was, they didn't, uh, they walked away from the Roman dream, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just so much intertwined now to your, you know, the American dream, you mm-hmm. know, the, um, so there's, it's just, it's just a very, sometimes it can be a little uh, confusing. You have to really look into what is it I'm holding on to? What is it, uh, you know, what what is it that I'm wanting to pursue? And, and, you know, going back to you talked about what some, I guess for lack of a better term, besetting sin. And what I said mine was trust. I want to control things. I have to be honest and say that there's a part of me wants to keep that American dream and uh, at whatever cost, uh, you know, I have to keep that in mind that that's in the back of my head. Uh, so that when I'm having anxiety, it's about keeping that American dream, keeping what I have. Mm-hmm. And that's what the American dream is to get and then keep. Hmm. Um, hmm. And um, so, yeah, so then I have to be aware of that, uh, because that will affect the way I act, the way I think, the way I pray. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God promises to be with us. He doesn't promise to have us keep our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hmm. you know, when um, we were meeting back 13 years yeah. ago, uh, you really had an emphasis on prayer. I mean, even kind of t- more toward the end, it seemed like that increased um, where I, I remember something you, you're talking about like if there's if time is limited in the morning um, instead of like putting the emphasis on reading the Bible if you just got to choose choose prayer is that um, so what what impact has prayer made on your life and um, do you have any thoughts about sure so I've I do, uh, I you know, I, I try to do more of a prayer without ceasing. Um, so, in a sense of just always being ready to have a posture of prayer. Um, don't get there all the time, but like, fortunately, um, through conviction, um, God has trained me to whenever I've. Uh, to feel free to just approach him if I'm all of a sudden having a struggle with uh, with trust with of hey God you've uh, I'm gonna trust in you and you know come what may I know that you're on your throne um, you're still working uh, in the world around me um, I I can pause and do that I can pause and say that and it, and so a lot of my prayers are more one-minute, two-minute prayers, but more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to build more discipline into a more of a longer type of prayer. Uh, you know, that's... It seems like the most I get up to is 10-minute, you know, prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there is something about a longer season of prayer that prepares your heart, prepares you for the day. But... 
Yes, yeah, so that's a discipline I would probably need to work more on. So just pausing for prayer, is it like while you're going about whatever you're doing, yep. you're just, yep. it's kind of like a mental directing your focus right. toward God? And So like uh, if I'm concerned about my kids, um, you know, instead of, okay, thinking, what can I do? What can I do to, you know, fix this? What can I do to spur them? And, you know, I, I, I go, I beg and beseech God um, on their behalf. Um and, and trusting that God loves them more than I do. God wants to do um, an incredible work in them. Um, so, you know, those type of things. It's just mm-hmm. whenever praying, whenever things come to your mind, mm-hmm. as opposed to, uh, you know, saving it all up uh, for one time. Mm-hmm. But, I, but again, I think the uh, one time, uh, those, are, those long seasons of prayer are, are important as mm-hmm. well. Um, just to tell you about something that's kind of neat as far as like interaction in this, uh, it's not a substitute for church, but it's mm-hmm. kind of pretty cool. Um, I think it started through central Presbyterian perhaps, but it's been going on. I don't know how many years and my brother has been involved with it. And then me more recently, but there's a group of men and they, um, they divide up into groups of four and then they go through this book called Discipleship Essentials. And it's uh, like, uh, leads you through discussions, you know, and they meet weekly and it's a two-year type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the two years, um, the four, they break up and they each find three other people and then the groups multiply like that. And they mainly meet kind of more in the St. Louis area. Mm-hmm. And I was wanting to do that just to... Um, mainly just to form relationships with other people and to have uh, yeah, deeper relationships. And I thought, well, I, I can't, um, you know, I didn't want to drive in there all the time. So I thought, well, I could just do this out here, you know. Mm-hmm. And I asked around for a lot of people, but like a two-year commitment, that, that's kind of a hard sell. Um, so I was asking people in church, but I ended up just asking people here in the neighborhood and it was like immediately, boom, boom, boom. You know, people were saying, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe because I was interested in relationships and that I was open with that and, and said that's part of my motivation, that perhaps that's what made it kind of attractive. Because I think we maybe take it for granted, relationships for granted, because we are a part of the church and there is that opportunity for relationships that maybe people who are not a part of the church, um, you know, just don't have as much. Um, so anyway, it started off with four of us. One person uh, didn't continue, so there's just three of us now. And we're about like a year and a half through it. But something about longevity, just really, uh, there is really, there's just something there. Like after a year and a half we're just really kind of getting comfortable with each other mm-hmm. and it's getting to be uh, good and we, we enjoy it. And one guy, we meet just over here across the street in a, a neighbor's house. One guy is uh, a Lutheran. One guy is a Roman Catholic and he drives in. He lives in South County. Um, but it's just kind of, uh, I told my kids, you know, you all could do this, you know, and uh, with a group of people and and then the, the whole multiplying thing just is pretty neat too if if that if it continues sure like that you know so 
Yeah, that that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But um anyway, uh let's see is there um and that also kind of in speaks to your concept of the city church or the local church, right? right? versus you know, hey, we all I go to a church that believes exactly like I do. So, right. Yeah. Because I've been involved with other, like BSF, uh, which okay. has, which has multiple, yeah, you know, that's non-denominational, and you're you're right. You get the gamut of uh, understandings. Fortunately, they're very text-driven, right? So you can't veer off too much. But uh, but no, I think the approach you said of wanting to have relationships, if if that's what show, shows through, of hey, I'm interested in you. And I think that that is winsome. I mean, that is what people people want to be known. People, I mean, you know, people want to hear their name spoken. I mean, they, they, those are all common human things. So, I th- I think we short sell that of of thinking that everybody wants to be distant. Everybody wants to you know keep everybody at arm's length. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. Well. I was, you know, just thinking about what to ask you, and one of those um, things was, um, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, what advice do you have for um, life? But it sounds like you've kind of been, that's been kind of coming out throughout the conversation. Um, But just how would you you put it in a nutshell? Um, I think... Uh, brutal introspection, I think. Um, that's one thing I think we all need to do. And some people are really good at it. Uh, some people are able to think about, why do I think about the things I do? So throughout you know, all we've talked about, a lot of it is just that I'm, uh, I'm a, maybe morbidly introspective, but I'm constantly looking at my own motives. Um, looking at what I believe, why I believe it. Um, I don't take anything for granted. So I think learn to be honest with yourself. That's what that's you know I talked about it with my kids about speaking the gospel. I've asked them to be honest with themselves, to not uh, not give, not tell me what I, they think I want to hear. Like, hey, are you walking in Christ? You know, and they'll say, oh yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, be honest. So I think part of that is I want to be honest with myself. And I think it's because a lot of that is based on my early, um, my my con- fake conversion, if you will, when I was seven and not really coming to Christ when I was 15. Uh, and a lot of it's just my personality. I want to always constantly assess, am I being consistent? Am I being uh, honest? Am I being um, true? You know, those those are the things I think all of us should be doing more of because um, that's one thing I struggle most with. I, I mean, you know, we get accused of being hypocrites all the time, but unfortunately we are hypocrites a lot of the time. And that's, uh, I guess my biggest thing is don't be a hypocrite. Um, hmm. ass- honestly assess what you're doing. Uh, assess where you're at in your walk with Christ. Assess where you're at in your walk in life. Mm-hmm. You know, am I still a mean, nasty person, even though I'm professing Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just be honest. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, thanks, Mike. It's been really good. Yeah, to had a good time. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Thank you.